Let's get back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I've really been impressed with this first couple verses of this chapter. Because what he's beginning to do, or what he's continuing to do, is to describe for us what a lifestyle of grace and truth really looks like. Now, obviously, that lifestyle is totally different lifestyle than what we are familiar with, what we grow up with, regardless of your background, regardless of your nationality, or regardless of economic status, regardless of any of the typical demographic information we have about people growing up. Doesn't even matter what home you grew up in. We all naturally grew up in a lifestyle that was totally opposite. We grew up in a lifestyle of law and lies. Did you know that? Yeah, you're introduced to it real early. Like when you were born. Okay. And you grew up in that lifestyle. How many of you ever heard or thought to yourself, you just got to know what's right and wrong? Hmm? That's the basis of your decision, is you knowing what's right and wrong in any given situation. In fact, I've heard people suggest that what's wrong with us today in our culture today is parents don't teach their children the difference between right and wrong. Well, they don't have to. They know. God taught them. He wrote the law in their heart. Not so that they would choose to do what's right and not do what's wrong. That's not why God wrote the law in their heart. That's not why God gave Israel the law, the rules and regulations in the Old Testament. But you know what the function of the law is from God's point of view? is to prove to us something, a very important issue. It's to prove to us that the whole world is guilty and in need of a savior. Did you know that? The reason he gave the law was to prove to you that you're wrong. So you would turn to him for your salvation. Now why would he have to do that? Why would he have to prove to us that we're wrong? As Paul put it in Romans chapter 3, why would he have to prove that the whole world is guilty before God? Why? Because all of us are born thinking that we ourselves are the center of the universe and everything revolves around what we need what we want what we've got to have and how the world is to jump to meet our needs that's the natural self-centeredness of what the bible calls the flesh and we're all naturally self-centered we're born that way we can't help it Take a couple of these cute little youngins 
And they're just cute as bugs here. I mean, they are cute. I think God makes them cute so we don't kill them before they're five. <laughs> because they are selfish. That little baby, you don't care that his mama ain't had no sleep in two days. He wants what he wants when he wants it. And he'll make all the noise he can until he gets it. You take two of those little cute fellows and you put them down on the floor and you give them one toy. Well, actually, you don't even have to give them one toy. You can give them each a toy and what's going to happen? One is going to want that other toy, right? And a war is going to ensue. Why? Because we are naturally selfish and self-centered. Now, I know that you can be socialized to the point where you can put a lid on your self-centeredness long enough to get along with other people and not go to jail. But that's a natural problem inherent to the human, human race. And so God gives us the law. Now, when you're living under the law, you've got to lie. Did you know that? I remember, I forget who it was now that told me the story about their little boy. And he was outside, he got into all kinds of mud, and got all beside himself, had mud all over his face. And his daddy came up, are you eating that mud? He says, no, no, not me. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it. Where'd that come from? It's that natural human nature. If you live under the law, you have to lie. You have to pretend. You have to try to get other people, especially the important people in your life, to think that you didn't do it. And of course, part of that is the blame game. You've got to be effective in that, you've got to be able to blame other people quickly to at least take the heat off of you. Now when you grow up, you don't get rid of that. Did you know that? No, adults are just, you just get more sophisticated. And when you're really good at it, you become a politician and get elected to office. <laughs> Get supported for the rest of your life. You see, we got an essential problem, a core problem that God wants to fix. And He's done everything necessary to fix it, by the way. And so, even though we're born into this lifestyle of law and lies, and we think the best way to get ahead is to keep all the rules. Now, in order to keep all the rules, though, you've got another problem, really. You've got to know what the rules are, don't you? If you don't know what the rules are, it's real hard to keep them. And so people spend an enormous amount of energy trying to figure out what the rules are. But they still can't keep them. They still can't do it. Now, I'm not bashing the law in the sense that I'm preaching an anarchy. 
But what I'm telling you is the shortcomings of the law. The law, that lifestyle of law we were all raised up in, it won't get it done, folks. It will not satisfy. It will not change human behavior. In fact, the Bible warns us about that in such places where he says, where the law is applied, you force law into a situation, you demand and judge and declare what's right and wrong in a situation, sin abounds. Did you know that? Yeah. I used to illustrate that with the class. I'd give them a break, you know, and I'd tell them, do not write on this whiteboard. No matter what, do not write on this whiteboard. Leave the pen there and walk off. Come back and there's scribbles all over the whiteboard. When the law is applied, sin abounds. You cannot control evil with the law. Did you know that? Doesn't happen. So our author here in Hebrews is concerned that we learn a new lifestyle. A lifestyle of grace and truth. That lifestyle was first introduced to us by Jesus as John records in the first chapter of his gospel, the law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus. And it represents two different ways of living. What I mean by a lifestyle is just the way you live, the way you live your life. And there's two radically different ways of living, either under the law or under grace. A lifestyle of law and lies or a lifestyle of grace and truth. So what our author is concerned here, after telling us that we have a new covenant, a better covenant, a better agreement with God than the Old Testament agreement of the Old Covenant. And you're all familiar with the Old Covenant. We grew up in it. Okay, and that is the Old Covenant simply said, if you behave yourself, God will bless you. If you don't behave yourself, God will curse you. Old Covenant, Covenant of Law. Now, that's not such a bad covenant in the sense that what God demands is in any way not legitimate or right, certainly not wrong. The problem is we've never been able to behave ourselves, ever. I came to that sad conclusion early on in my life, having been raised under the law as a preacher's kid. You ever hear any stories about a preacher's son? The son of a preacher man? I'm the one they made it up about. Why? I could never behave myself. Oh, I knew I should. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. The problem was I just couldn't do what's right and I couldn't quit doing what was wrong. That's because there's no power in the law to change. You can know all these things and not be able to change. The only way we can change is to be changed by the grace of God. 
under the new covenant. Now the old covenant said you've got to behave yourself. The new covenant says, God says, I'm going to make you behave. Not by threatening you with punishment, but I am going to work inside you and I'm going to cause you from the inside out to want to behave and you will behave. He says, you're not going to have any need for other people to tell you about me because I'm going to talk to you personally. Yeah, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And finally, he says, your sins and iniquities, all the stuff you've screwed up your whole life, I will remember no more. Well, how could he forget that? How could he possibly forget the things we've done that are wrong, transgressing His law. Because here's the miracle of grace. Jesus already did it. He made you a brand new person. Whether you believe that or not, it's done. He said, when He died on the cross, He said, it's finished. What's well, finished? Everything necessary to fulfill the new covenant by his sacrifice was finished. Everything necessary to make you a brand new person. Created in righteousness and true holiness. It's done. It's finished. So the only thing remains is whether you are going to believe that or not. That's all whether you're going to believe that's true. That was the importance the author placed in the last chapter, chapter 11, on how you get into grace. How do you get into this lifestyle of grace? By faith. It's not what you do or don't do that gets you into that lifestyle of grace. It's what you believe specifically what you believe about what God has told you. And He has told you, He has written it down in black and white, that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the person you've always thought of yourself as being, that person was crucified and buried with Him. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, He created a brand new person, made alive in Christ. That's the real person you are right now, this moment. You're not the same old person you've always thought you were. You're a brand new creature created in Christ Jesus. It's a done deal. To enter into grace, you simply believe what God says is true. Now, to help you with that, well, we were talking about it in the last chapter, chapter 11, that great chapter on faith. I just put a little more simply for you because faith is one of the fruits listed as a fruit of the Spirit, what's produced in you by the Spirit. I don't say you have to believe. I say you need to want to believe. Do you want to believe that's true? You want to believe what God says is true about you? He gives you the faith. Now we just went through a whole litany of heroes of faith in chapter 11. 
And so when we come to chapter 12, our author is telling us now, because we have all these witnesses out there of what a lifestyle of faith looks like, this great cloud of witnesses, he describes it, he says, let us, laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. Now here he's not talking about a little 100 yard dash or even a 440 sprint. He's talking about a marathon. And that marathon begins the moment you enter into grace's lifestyle by faith in Christ and finishes in heaven. He's talking about your life. He's talking about how you're going to live your life. You're going to live your life under law. You're going to live your life under grace. The race that's set before us is to live a brand new lifestyle of grace and truth every day of our life. But he calls it a marathon because he doesn't want you to think it's going to be quick and simple and easy. The marathon race requires enormous endurance. And it's long. It's not a quick thing at all. Many miles. And so this marathon race that's set before us, or the way our author describes our lifestyle from now on out. Till we finally get in heaven. Well, where are we going to get this endurance? What's it going to take to give us this endurance to run this marathon race of a lifestyle of grace and truth? We've already talked about it. I'll just remind you again that faith is the way you get into grace. But hope is what sustains you in that grace is a lifestyle. Another word for hope, by the way, biblical term for hope, is joy. Because hope, as the Bible describes it, is a joyful expectation, a confidence about your own future. You know you're going to be okay. When you know you're going to be okay, you've got hope. And from that hope comes peace. That's why Paul prays, that little prayer, a little one-verse prayer in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of all hope fill you with all peace and joy in believing. You see, when you exercise that initial faith, when you want to believe what God says is true, and He creates that faith in you, you also experience simultaneously with that hope joy and peace from the God of all hope through His Spirit. Now let me give you the broad overview of this lifestyle of grace and truth we're talking about here before we go any further with it. The broad overview is what He calls us to now in verse 2. We're to run with endurance this race that's set before us looking unto Jesus. The author, that's the beginner. And the finisher, that's the completer of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. What do you mean by looking unto Jesus? You run this race of the lifestyle of grace and truth with your eyes fixed 
on Jesus in two ways. He's not just talking about looking at his, his example. And while he was here on this earth, he gave us a marvelous example. All the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and especially John, give us story after story of a marvelous example of what it means to live a lifestyle of grace and truth. Jesus set that example for us so we'd have something to compare our own lifestyle with. And that's marvelous. And the more we know about that, the more we're going to learn about that. Everything Jesus said and everything he did was in the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, he testified himself saying, the works that I do, the words that I speak, they're not me. They're my Father. See, the Father worked through the Spirit in His Son to produce this lifestyle of grace and truth. Looking unto Jesus and His example then, is every day, if you're going to walk in grace and truth, every day you're going to hear the Father. Every day, He's going to tell you what's right and wrong. He's going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. He's going to tell you when you should or shouldn't go. He's going to tell you where you should go. Every single day, all the details of your life. He's going to direct you. See, on the night before He was crucified, and Jesus met with His disciples in the upper room, He promised, He said, we're not going to abandon you. I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to abandon you like orphans floundering around in this, in this world. He says, I am going to send to you another of the same kind of comforter that I've been to you. And he called them the Spirit of Truth. Now he warned, the world can't see him. He's invisible. The natural mind can't receive him. But you know him because he's been with you. And he shall be in you. Now, that's a tremendous promise, folks. A tremendous promise. Remember when Jesus started his ministry? He was baptized in the Jordan River to actually identify himself with us. And in that moment, the Spirit came on him in the form of a bodily, bodily form of a dove. And from that moment on, he was led by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to fulfill the job that God had sent him into this world to do. Now on the night before he was crucified, or the night after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he met with those same disciples and he breathed on them, John tells us, and said, Receive ye the Spirit. He gave them the Spirit to be with them, to teach them, to comfort them, to do all the things He promised they would do. See, God didn't leave you floundering around in this world wondering what you ought to do to live a lifestyle of grace and truth. He talks to you personally and individually through His Spirit living in the new person He's made you to be to guide you into all truth. Our prayer every day ought to be something like this. Lord, thank you for giving me 
the life of your son Jesus. Thank you for giving me his purpose and his mission in this world. Thank you for giving to me his mind so I can see things the way he does and understand. Now use me to love other people just like he did. To fulfill my calling that you've given me. See, Jesus told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. You're not here by accident, folks. You're not breathing and your heart beating because of your own power. You're here because God has left you here in this world to do what He sent His Son Jesus to do. To love others. Just like His Son. That's your high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So when you live this lifestyle of grace and truth, you can be sure you're living a lifestyle of grace and truth when you're actually caring about other people. When you're actually concerned about their welfare. In fact, Jesus said, this is the sign that you are my disciple. That you love one another just like I've loved you. That's proof positive that you're walking in grace. That's proof positive you're living out this brand new supernatural lifestyle empowered by the Spirit for His glory. You see, that's what our lives are about. That's why we are here. Now there's much more to be said about this. I'm going to close for today just to remind you that what He's called us to is a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is a supernatural lifestyle. That natural lifestyle is a lifestyle of law and lies. It never has work and always leads to some sort of dysfunction. And yes, it is a supernatural lifestyle, but he's given us the supernatural power we need to live that lifestyle by giving to us his spirit. If there's any one thing I would suggest that believers need to know more than anything else is how to hear God tell you what He wants you doing. And by the way, what He tells you to do is probably going to be a lot different than what He tells me to do. Did you know that? Yeah. God's an infinite God of variety. He loves variety. So he's not going to tell us all to do the same thing. Oh, in general terms, yes, all of us will be loving others. But that individual specific job he's got for you, only you will know. And he'll tell you. He'll talk to you about it. He promised. He's not going to leave you like organs. He's going to come to you and tell you, teach you, guide you, empower you every step of the way. So yes, it is an endurance race. 
this lifestyle of grace and truth. It is a marathon. And yes, it takes endurance because we live in a sin-cursed world that's falling apart. Sin-cursed bodies that are falling apart. But He's given us everything we need to run that race that is set before us. Let's thank Him. Father God, as we come in Your presence, I thank You. I thank You for the privilege, Lord, that we have of running this race of the lifestyle of grace and truth. I ask you to make us aware of that now, Father. Open our eyes to the truth of that, to the purpose that you've given us, each one of us, in your Son, Jesus. And we might be encouraged, Father, to run this race with endurance, that we might be mindful of it throughout the day and throughout the weeks and months ahead. And we thank you for that privilege. We give you all the glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Appreciate you all being here. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 